Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. So, Tom, as you know, one of my favorite pastimes is bursting the different hype cycles in the tech industry. So, actually, I'm curious, what do you think of when you hear the words "new retail"? I mean, we all understand that retail is a really big business, and considering it's basically been the same thing for the last whatever hundred years, it is really in the time of disruption. Some people wondering. Are big stores dying? Earlier today, you used a word that I won't say here to describe what is happening in retail this week. What alarmed people the most is they don't know what to do about it. The macroeconomic data looks good; people should be spending. The question is, what does that disruption mean? And obviously, it's extremely important considering Alibaba is mentioning it every keynote they give. New retail is great, you know, Alibaba is starting it, but what's really the impetus? For these brands to change quickly, and why they didn't really change in the past. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry, industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international yeah. companies at a record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's credit. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. So I think the problem with the term "new retail" is is that it's so broad and amorphous that it's hard to know what exactly it refers to. Maybe a good way to define it is the integration of or merging online and offline retail data to basically make people buy more stuff. I think it represents this very crucial battle or competition, you could say, between online, offline retailers and e-commerce platforms. Right? I think it's been very clear over the past years or so that e-commerce platforms are really changing how brick-and-mortar stores work. You can see like a lot of big box retailers suffering. So new retail, for me at least, kind of encapsulates this tension between those two areas. So after researching this area a little bit, I think it becomes really clear that there's a lot of shiny, let's say, consumer-facing stuff that people associate with new retail. But those are really a lot of that is the data capture part, I guess, in offline stores. But I think what's really impactful is how all this data, both online and offline, goes back to the supply chain and really the company's bottom line. And I think that's where the real impact is of of new retail. To understand this a bit better and understand like where the traditional retailers are at today, I actually spoke with an expert in the apparel analytics area. My name is Seichang Pang, I'm general manager, president of Sunfang Asia, where we help brands on merchandising planning, assortment planning, allocation, transfer, and season stock balancing. 
And so he said, like, Eva, the ideal number of unsold clothes at the end of the season isn't zero because then you don't know how many shirts you could have sold. Actually, the best figure left at the end of a, a season is one shirt because then you know you've hit kind of your maximum demand. And so I guess the bigger question is, like, how do you get to that ideal one shirt left metric? Everything we, we do as a company, some of mine, is about helping apparel, footwear, and accessory companies manage their product. So optimizing the inventory productivity throughout the entire merchandise life cycle. Apparel and fashion, the fashion world, you know, and what makes it really exciting is, you know, whereas the consumer products or groceries and electronics, if you think about the products, 80 to 90% of the products in those industries are basic products, are repeated products. Apparel is the complete opposite. Whereas 90% or 80% of our products are totally new. We've never sold it before. That means every season we're making a bet on that these customers are going to return to our stores and buy our things. It's inherently challenging because it's this, this vague, this ambiguity about whether or not we think we can sell it. And this is the importance of, you know, renew retail and understanding how to manage our merchandise and then having tools or methodologies in place that allows you to forecast accurately. Planning, and especially merchandise planning, is going to be the biggest department in any apparel company in the next few years. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Before listening to him, my main kind of impression of new retail for apparel industry was basically, you know, the front end of it. Uh, let's say, you know, having a magic mirror that helps you match the outfit. So it's, you know, makes your in-store experience much better. But this actually makes way more sense, right? Because look at a lot of these really big brands. They sell so many clothes every day and they probably don't have a very good real-time, you know, feedback loop when it comes to metrics. Therefore, it's really hard for them to like optimize storage, optimize where to put certain clothes in the store and also optimize the supply chain, you know, being ready to do more of a certain product because it gets popular in a certain region of China and, you know, transport it. So, you know, you never run out of stock. Right. And I think like a good way to maybe think about the opportunities of new retail is thinking about how shops are falling short. So, You know, one big question mark is what do people want, but then also where we should send this stuff. Like, let's say Uniqlo or big brands, they have shops all over China. You obviously don't want a lot of shirts going to one shop and then having to move them around constantly because that's not where the demand is, right? So just knowing that something's really popular isn't fine grain enough um, for brick-and-mortar shops. So when listening to this, it obviously sounds logical, right? That's how the world should be. Uh, they should have metrics. But this, like, how bad is it? How does it work right now? So based on my conversation with Sichuan, like the reason why apparel retailers, at least in China, because they, in theory, they should have a head start compared to e-commerce platforms, right? Because they own their own shops. Like, they should own a lot more data than they, they already do currently. And so, like, some of the challenges that have kind of prevented or slowed the progress of traditional retailers in terms of digitizing or collecting more data on their stores, one is that they just have poor digital infrastructure. Every time you try to upgrade your digital infrastructure, it's a lot harder than when you start fresh, the way that e-commerce platforms have, right? 
So that's one challenge. Another one, which I thought was interesting, is that he said, in the past, a lot of retailers in China had this edge over the global market simply because they were sitting right by suppliers. So this meant that instead of waiting months to get your clothing shipped、um, from design, I guess, to when you put in the order, you the the time could be a few weeks. And because they had this advantage, maybe it made. It decreased the urgency in terms of collecting more data, understanding your customers,、uh, and building a brand in China. Yeah. And then the last point is that sometimes a lot of traditional sales metrics or KPIs aren't totally aligned with those of new retail. So Sichuan gave this example of like, let's say you have your top performing store. It might be defined as top performing because it has the highest sales revenue or sales figures, right? Which makes total sense. But if you look at it from the perspective of understanding your customers, you just know that overall the sales are the best in, let's say, the city. So, kind of this emphasis on maybe sales or traditional metrics over other ones kind of makes stores blind to、uh, understanding their customers better. So in short, because traditional retailers don't manage their data, don't connect everything, you know, through a good enough system such as e-commerce companies do, they they have a lot of room to improve the efficiency in terms of you know both how they place their products, how they sell, but also in terms of how they have stock. Yeah, and I guess just to boil it down, it's not just collecting more data of all kinds, but really understanding which. Kind of data they need to really be able to optimize their inventory. Okay, so in theory it makes sense, but did he mention any specific numbers? Like, like is this actually able to improve the business of, let's say, an apparel company enough for it to be worth it? Yeah. So actually, you know, if you think like a store or a company, let's say an apparel company, you need to buy your stock ahead of time. Even though we as consumers buy stuff on the fly. In reality, there's a lot of forecasting that goes involved. Like, how many watches do you think you'll sell, right?、Mm-hmm. So, in the past, a lot of apparel brands would buy the bulk of their stuff ahead of time, right, pre-season, which means you're making a huge bet. But、mm-hmm. if you have more data capabilities, you can kind of have a more data-driven, let's say, iterative approach to buying stuff. So you just buy a small number of things, test it, see how people like it. And then you order again in shorter cycles, if that makes sense. And you can really do this in China because you're sitting so close to suppliers. And in terms of success or how successful this approach is, he didn't mention specific companies because of confidentiality reasons, etc. But he did give some pretty impressive numbers. So I can tell you that within one season, you know, for example, summer season of switching to this more reorder strategy of shifting your financial open to buy to instead of where you usually had a ninety ten where you buy ninety percent preseason, ten percent in season, and switching it more to a sixty forty, so forty percent or even a fifty fifty, you're increasing. Your overall sales, you are increasing your full price sales, so you're reducing your markdowns. Full price sales are increasing in season by anywhere from ten to twenty percent. It's increasing in season sell through by at least another ten to twenty percent, and increasing overall margin anywhere from one to ten percent. And it sounds great, but it's very hard to execute because what this model dictates and mandates is that your entire lifecycle management of the product. From design 
to allocating it and transferring it in store, you start optimizing it in a way for it to understand the importance of merchandise and inventory positions. So after listening to Sichang, after listening to you, there's just one thing that hits me, which is that it doesn't sound super hard. This is how exactly any modern internet company works. You track your data, you understand you know, what you sell. So why isn't this happening already? So I think one thing to remember is that capturing data online, though it's not easy, relatively speaking, it's a lot more straightforward when you think about the offline space, which is much messier, more chaotic. If you're browsing something online, you can capture scroll depth, you know, like how deep you go into a store to look at its products. You can see what people put in their basket, what they've taken out. Like you can kind of guess more accurately what drives people to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can't really do that offline. Maybe one of the big takeaways that I got from my conversation with Sichung is maybe not even obsessing so much about the lack of historical data that you don't have and can never get, basically, but it's just making sure that you are well positioned to get what you need in the future. And a lot of that is just understanding like what makes your product special so that you can see whether or not people like that part of your clothing. Inherently, we really need to talk about the merchandise, the product itself. So what's a product? These are the questions our brands and our clients are asking today. What they realize is, and what we're helping them do, is they're realizing it's everything about your company is first through the merchandise that you create and how you market it and how you sell it in your stores. So when you look at how brick and mortars work, you know, other than, you know, the placement of the product and display of the product in the store, really the key that you realize that the consumers interact with is actually the product itself. So how do you understand the product is really through the attributes that you are associating to that product itself. So if you take any brand that sells product, if you look at the product itself, there's things you inherently know about it. You know, it's style, you know, it's color, you know, it's size. And then usually some brand will know its natural attributes. So by natural attributes, I mean, what does it look like? What's the material? What does it feel like? What branding really means today in retail, when we say bring that online concept offline, is really building into that diversity of the attributing itself to the attributes that are there but are intangible. For example, how does this product make you feel? What's the story, the concept behind this product? Is the product made for a certain type of setting or for a certain type of person? And what that means is in behind the scenes, stores must start attributing or brands must start attributing all these products when they're creating them in the first place. And throughout the whole life cycle, closely monitoring the important significance of each attribute as they perform in each store. So when I, when we say perform, it's the actual sales and their inventory positions daily. All that information is within that RFID tag. So, so basically, the conclusion being that you know, because e-commerce is only a smaller part of like the total consumption, it means that unless we really understand how consumers act in the offline space, i.e., retail, then it's going to be really hard to kind of project and understand exactly what the consumer wants. The most concrete example being, let's say, if Uniqlo don't measure their consumers in store, their data sets from their e-commerce might not be enough for them to progress. As a company. So I think new retail is interesting because it's really this 
I guess, meeting point between e-commerce platforms and brick-and-mortar shops. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of in this awkward position where if they work together, they can bring both of their advantages to the table, right? Yep. Offline shops, online data, etc. And also e-commerce platforms have a lot of volume in terms of sales customers, etc. Yeah. But it's also a bit contentious because e-commerce platforms like Taobao or let's say companies like Alibaba are also trialing their own offline shops like Hema, which is this physical grocery store chain started by Alibaba. And in that sense, you could see that e-commerce platforms are sort of encroaching on traditional retailers' territory. Yes, so I don't know if you agree with this, Eva, but my perception so far about why this space is so important for companies like Alibaba or JD is three main things. Like Number one reason, obviously, is because so much consumption is happening offline and therefore they need that data access in order to grow even bigger and in order to build out their data about any specific consumer to understand them better, to recommend them better products and, you know, just increase the conversions, essentially. The other reason is, which was kind of news for me when I spoke to some people at Hema, why they opened Hema, uh, they said that they made a user acquisition calculation and then they realized that opening a store like that brings more people into the Alibaba ecosystem at a lower cost than, let's say, online advertising at your current scale, that is. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, because, you know, number one, it gives them lower use acquisition costs. But at the same time, they can build offline data that's critical for them in order to grow even more, which leads us into the third reason, which is that, you know, it's kind of proven that a lot of consumers will still consume offline. So strategically in the future, whoever kind of digitalizes offline might be in position to threaten any e-commerce player. Make sense? Yeah, and I think that with e-commerce stores launching their own offline stores, a lot of it is probably just learning more about how best to even capture or go about implementing, quote, new retail. So, for example, um, you know, JD and Alibaba have both demoed stuff where they capture heat maps of where customers are moving around the store. And I guess the idea is that if you see people kind of congregate in certain areas, you can map that with where products are and get a sense of what people are interested in or even insights about the store layout. Like maybe people are kind of stuck in that area and don't explore other places because they get lost or there's other places that, you know, are suffering because no one's going there. Like maybe you need like signs pointing that way, et cetera, right? So Mm -hmm. they have like these heat maps. They have these like cloud shelves that are these smart shelves that can sense, let's say, when people pick up stuff. Like there's a lot of experimentation going on, even with e-commerce platforms that are opening up their own offline outlets. But I think they're also kind of trying to market that as a service for traditional brands. Um, Maybe, you know, because it's an opportunity, but maybe also because it it shows or it's their way of saying, hey, like we want to help you be better at offline sales. We're not directly competing with you. That's actually the thing that disturbs me the most about Alibaba, JD getting into new retail, which is that I don't understand why they're even allowed to enter. I mean, if we look at the e-commerce model, it's kind of proven that the marketplace will own everything. So for you as a brand to work with them, you got to do it because they have the traffic. But essentially Alibaba's core business idea is to understand who buys Uniqlo clothes. 
and then repackage that data as advertising data and sell it to Zara. And then Zara can push ads to people that bought white t-shirts from Uniqlo to sell the exact same product. And at the end of the day, the only winner here is Alibaba because they make money all the time. While the brands kind of lose the interaction with the consumer, they are just pressured for the margins even more and they just need to lower the prices. So you think it's already a losing battle? My point being is that now they're trying to get into retail, which is kind of the last thing that you know these big brands, let's say Zara or Adidas or Nike, that they have, you know, they have their own stores, enabling people, you know, to have the experience of their own brands and all of their data is their own. Alibaba do not have access to that data. They don't know how people walk around in these stores. They don't know what people buy. They can only know that, you know, a certain store is selling a bunch of stuff because they probably take the payments through Alipay or WeChat Pay. And that being my point, like if you have looked at what happens in a digital environment when you let a marketplace own everything, why are you letting them in into retail? Yeah, I guess from the brand's perspective, JD and Alibaba obviously have way more technical know-how. Of course, that makes sense. I mean, Alibaba got way better technology teams than Adidas or any one of those retail brands, right? But I'm just frustrated that, you know, we haven't learned by history. You know, just look at Tainiao, you know, the big logistics mm. platform Alibaba runs, right? They, yeah. I think they control now 30% of all packages being sent every day and they don't own one single truck. And the reason why they don't own one single truck is because a bunch of years ago, they went to all of these logistics companies that also lacked technology to make their you know, rides more efficient and told them, hey, we've built an AI brain for you. And thanks to the AI brain, you're going to be making way more money because we can tell you exactly what type of truck to have exactly where to drive what route. So, you know, it's way more efficient. And all the logistics companies bought into it, of course, because short term they made more money. But then after Alibaba or Tainio controlled all the traffic, now they're just going back to logistics companies saying, oh, by the way, I need you to drop your prices. And they can't do anything about it because throughout these years, these logistics companies haven't built any technology. They're so far down the value chain now that they basically only operate a bunch of trucks and have no idea where to drive them without the help of Tainio. And they are kind of in a really bad spot right now because in a few years, when trucks that can drive themselves come out, why mm. should you need these logistics companies? Then Tainio should work directly with Tesla or whoever makes those trucks. I mean, yeah, I think maybe the silver lining to all of this is that the emergence of e-commerce platforms aiming offline or even this concept of new retail has really pushed traditional brands to realize how important data capture is. You know, like at this point, their edge is the fact that they have all these offline shops and offline presence, which e-commerce platforms obviously don't have, and their brand, which is a lot harder to replicate and copy, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it feels like one of the brands or more of them should just invest time and money in doing this themselves instead of, you know, doing it through Alibaba or JD and honestly just get screwed in five years. Right, absolutely. And I think that Alibaba might not care if, let's say, Uniqlo or other apparel brands are, you know, wasting a lot of profits on markdowns. So obviously it's not really Alibaba's problem, right? As long as the company stays on their platform, continues marketing, 
etc. Eva, so before we end the episode, I just got to ask, one reading about new retail, there's a lot of you know super interactive kind of experiences in store, whether it is like cameras automatically you know, understanding who I am and therefore, you know, giving my purchase history or if it's a magic mirror, you know, where I can try lipstick on or new clothes on. Uh, we haven't really talked about that so much this episode. Is it anything happening there or, or is it just hype? I think a lot of those demos are happening, but they seem more like marketing gimmicks, to be totally honest. Because I guess from a media standpoint, talking about inventory optimization or uh, the supply chain isn't something that reporters are honestly going to jump on, especially since a lot of this stuff is so is in its early phases. So you can't even you know throw out numbers like, oh, like, you know, through our new retail initiatives, we've saved X billion dollars, right, in wasted clothing or shipping costs, right? Like there's there's none of that right now, or maybe companies aren't willing to share it. So I think there's been a lot of focus on the superficial stuff when I guess from researching this or, you know, talking to experts like Si Chung, for me at least it seems like new retail is really about being better at the basics, which is just being able to forecast demand properly and not wasting like over-ordering or under-ordering certain things. Okay, so in order to understand the real new retail, you know, we should be focused on trying to figure out, you know, the back end and the logistics behind actually that impact how you run a retail store instead of the front-end stuff that's probably just marketing gimmicks anyways. Yeah, I think probably there's been undue emphasis on user engagement, which is important because a lot of stores now, like, they're not just places where you buy stuff because you can just do that online but it's a place where you can like try on new things have fun etc you know so I don't think that's not important but I think when you think about new retail and the impact it'll have on offline shops my big takeaway is that it's really about supply chain and inventory yeah Considering this has been one of the most hyped topics of 2018, and even though maybe the hype curve is slightly lower now, thanks to you, Eva, it feels really good to have the last episode of the year about new retail. So with that, thanks so much for listening. Happy holidays and see you 2019. Digitally China is produced by me, Jacob Noven, Eva Xiao, and Tom Shaw, and it's powered by Radii, an independent media platform exploring culture, innovation, and life in China. You can find them at radiichina.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>